And so officially, good morning, my friends. Good morning, good morning, good morning. Again, a happy Father's Day to our dads out there. Uh, we've got a lot to dig into today, so we're just going to skip any kind of kitschy intro I might have had, and let's pray. Heavenly Father, Christ Jesus, and Holy, Holy, Holy Spirit, just as you welcome us into creation and then back into the restoration of creation through your Son, may we too welcome those into our midst. God, may we too be able to truly say, come just as you are and sit at our table. God, through your word this morning, would you give us new eyes to see, new hearts in which to feel, and new hands and feet with which to engage the world, that we might take the liturgy, the Eucharist, the sermon, the songs, the benediction, the prayers, all of everything we do this morning here out into the liturgy of our week to come. We pray all these things in your heavenly name. Amen. All right, my friends, during these summer months, we are exploring ways that we can see, right? We're in ordinary time or the season of Pentecost, and so we're looking at ways in which we can see the extraordinary power of the Spirit, right? This was Pentecost and into Acts 42 a few weeks ago, the extraordinary in the ordinary of our lives. We began very fittingly last week with the idea of Shabbat or the idea of rest, right? Because rest and Shabbat allows us to realize we are not God, that we can in fact slow down for just a second and rest and delight in the Almighty, in the divine. And today we're going to examine uh, Christ's radical hospitality, the radical hospitality of, of his heart. We're going to look today at a hospitality that you know, started in the Genesis, the beginning of time, we'll get there in a moment, that then continued through the Christ in, in the man Jesus and then took root in the hearts of the early church. Right, when we read through Acts 2.42, we saw that that was a pillar, that was a mark of the early church that they gave their very sustenance, their very existence to others. And so we're going to be in Matthew this morning. We're going to be in chapter 25. Uh, this is one of those teachings that's, that, that, that's fairly well known. This definitely would have been a teaching that was in the heart of these early Christ followers from Acts 2, uh, 42 and, and following. We're going to be in uh, chapter 25 and we're going to pick up in verse 31. The first 30 verses are simply just uh, parables from Jesus' lips and he's talking about the responsibility that this early church, that, that his followers would have in stewarding this kingdom that he was ushering in. All right, so we're in Matthew 25, verse 31, where we see Christ speaking. And he says, whenever comes the son of anthropu, okay, the son of mankind, um, you know, think uh, anthropology, the son, the son of mankind, the son of humankind. Whenever comes the Son of Man in his doxe, in his honor, his praise and glory. Doxa, doxology, right? We, do the, we say the doxology at the end of every service. So whenever he comes, the Son of Man comes in his doxe, in his glory, in his honor, his praise, and all the angeloi, the messengers, the angels with him, then at that time he will sit upon his throne 
of doxes, of honor, praise, and glory. And so Christ is saying he will come. He will come again, and he will be sitting on that throne. And he says at that time, in verse 32, and all the ethne, we get our word ethnicity from this, all the ethne, all the ethnicities, the races, all the nations will be led together, will be brought together before him. And he will set apart from one another, just as the shepherd sets apart the sheep from the young goats. And truly, he will stand the sheep on the right hand of him and the young goats on the left. Then, at that time, the Basileus, the king, he's talking about himself, will say to those on the right hand of him, Come, those eulogemenoi, eulogemenoi. Okay, think of eulogy here. That we, we get our, our, our word eulogy from this, right? So he'll say, come, those being eulogized. We, we use eulogies only at the end of life to speak well of people. And here he's talking about, you know, you can eulogize someone really anytime. It's just eulogy means just to simply speak well of somebody. So he says, come, those being spoken well of by my patros, my father, come and inherit this Basilean, this kingdom that has been prepared for you from the laying down the foundations of the cosmo or the cosmos, right? We even read in John uh, 14, right? My father has prepared many rooms in the chambers for you. And so verse 35, four, and this is the part that's very well, uh, you know, pretty well known, um, you know, especially within certain circles. Gar, four, I hungered and you gave me something to eat. I thirsted, and you gave drink to me. I was a foreigner, and you led me to come together with you. You took me in. Naked, I was poorly clothed, and you put clothes on me. I was weak, I was feeble, I was sick, and you looked upon me. You came to visit me. I was in prison, I was being guarded over, and you came to me. Verse 37, then at that time... The just. Speaking of those who did the above, the ones who were right in doing that above, will answer him, saying, When did we perceive you hungering and nourished you, or thirsting and gave you drink? And when did we perceive you as a foreigner and led you to come together with us, took you in, or naked, poorly clothed, and put clothes upon you? And when did we see you weak, feeble, or sick, or in prison, and came to visit you? And answering, the Basileus, the king, will say to them, Amen lego, truly I say to you, upon insofar as how much you did it to one of these, the least, the ones most in need of my brothers and sisters, you did it to me. And so there you have it. In a word, Jesus is saying, as plain as day, that whenever you practice hospitality, whenever you practice hospitality with anyone who has any need, you're in fact hosting me, you're visiting me, you're feeding me. Right? He says, whatever you do to the least of these, you are doing it for 
me. And then if you were to continue and read the next few verses, he goes on with this theme. He goes on with this theme of, uh, and he reverses the entire thing upside down. He, he basically says, and then to those on my, on my left, he says, um, you neglected to house and to feed and to visit me. And they ask, well, why did you, we, when did we do that? And he goes, well, when it was when you neglected the least of these. He goes, in fact, it was me that you were neglecting to feed and to host and to visit. And then he finishes and says, he tells them just to go, just go away. He goes, for if you wanted no part of me then, what, 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 what can I say now? You see, Christ is speaking here to the heart of his Father. Christ is speaking here to the heart of his Spirit, the heart of this entire kingdom that he is ushering in. Christ is speaking here to the heart of this imaginative, hospitable, restorative power that he had from the intention all the way back for creation in the Genesis, in the beginning of all things. The beginning of all things, right? A, a heavenly authoring of life. Have you ever thought about the divine three-in-one, Father, Son, and Spirit, like we talked about in Trinity Sunday, as we talk a lot about the architect of life or the designer of life, but have you ever thought about the Father, Son, and the Spirit, this holy trinity, as authoring life, as in writing life or speaking life into existence? This heavenly being authoring life, taking creation into the fold of the benefits that the trinity experiences inviting humanity into that same world that they've created. Think about this. Our very existence, our very creation in this cosmo that Jesus talks about, the cosmos, is in its very nature an act of divine hospitality. God did not have to invite us into the fold of his divine presence, but chose to invite us to be hospitable, to bring us into his fold. Yet, we as humanity often have a tendency to misuse God's good gifts, including this gift of hospitality. And so over the years, post the fall, on this side of eternity, we tend to be very uncreative, right? The opposite of our creative God. We tend to be very unimaginative and thus create hierarchies of who is in, who is out, who is better, who is worse. And we take this divine judgment that's only God's to really have. And we say, we're the ones that guard this thing. We're the ones that get to decide who's in and out. You see, at the time of Jesus, the time Jesus was, pre was preaching these exact words, the rules and the laws and the regulations around who were allowed to associate with who, who was allowed to eat with who, who was allowed to go, even into the temple. The temple was divided into here's where certain people could be, and it was like a tiered thing all the way till you got to the Holy of Holies where only one person was allowed to be in there. 
There were policies from Rome that dictated this social hierarchy. There were policies from within his own Hebrew Jewish community that dictated, again, who you could eat with, who you could socialize with, even who you could touch. Yet Christ rejected these human-made traditions, these human-made traditions that twisted God's original design for creation, these human-made divisions, walls, and borders. There's this uh, brilliant scene in, in that Chosen series that, 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 that the Bogans got me uh, hooked onto. Um, and in this episode, it's, you really get a good sense of this division of, of, of people. You know, there's the Romans, there's the Hebrews, they're, they're very divided. There's the Samaritans, even more further divided from, uh, from the Hebrews. But then you even get a sense of the division within the, even the Hebrew tribe of who's clean and who's unclean. And so in this scene, Jesus is walking down a dirt road. Uh, he's on his way to somewhere. When they come across a man who, I think he had leprosy. I'm, I'm pretty sure in this scene it was a man who had leprosy. Um, a very, um, a, a contagious disease that would, you know, eat, 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 eat this, the flesh right off of, uh, of a human being. And Jesus starts approaching this man who has leprosy. And throughout this episode, you've been already seeing the divisions that are taking place here. And so then the disciples, who are Hebrew Jewish followers, get very freaked out because this man is unclean in the image of their community. And the disciples start telling Jesus, don't go any closer, don't go any closer, you're going to get sick, you're going to get in trouble. And if you, if you remember, Jesus just simply walks up to the man and he just throws all caution to the wind. He doesn't care about getting sick, he doesn't care about getting arrested, he doesn't care about getting in trouble. And he goes up and he puts his hand on the man who has leprosy. And you can just see this leper from the beginning of this episode was so lonely was so lonely, had nowhere to go, no one that would talk to him, no one that would touch him. And then Jesus, the Christ, came, placed his hands on him, and you could just see this guy melt in just like almost, he just starts, his eyes get full of tears, and he's just cannot believe the heart of this man from Nazareth. You see, this is radical hospitality. In the face of persecution, in the face of other people thinking you shouldn't be doing this in the face of even breaking the man-made laws and traditions, instead inviting those to his table, the table of his heart, and even being willing to touch those who were desired or looked at as unclean. And you can see this throughout the Gospels. Read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. You can again see this in the book of Acts that you see Jesus often eating with many different kinds of people. Well, you'll see Jesus actually even eating with the religious leaders themselves, yeah? And they had no problem with this because, well, hey, why wouldn't he eat with us? We're, the, we're, we're, we're at the top of the food chain here. But also, Jesus ate with tax collectors. Those were the ones who were really kind of giving it to his, his Jewish you know, compadres. He also ate with drunkards. We see him eating with prostitutes. He ate with those who were sick. He touched people. He healed people who otherwise would have no business being looked upon, let alone touched, by a rabbi, someone of Jesus' standing. You name it, anybody, every single person who hungered to be near Jesus was allowed to be near Jesus. 
At one point, this even gets him into some trouble. Some of the religious leaders ask him, well, why are you doing this? He goes, why are you eating with, you know, like, we like that you're eating with us. You're supposed to do that, but why are you eating with these kinds of people? Don't you know it's against our way of life? Don't you know it's against our laws? And Jesus basically, in, in that moment and through his entire life, is like, well, if that's how you've twisted my father's good gift of hospitality, then forget it. I want nothing to do with it. He goes, I'm going to continue to eat and drink. I'm going to continue to invite people to follow me. As a matter of fact, I'm going to love on everyone so hard, I'm even going to show you and actually be the most hospitable you could ever imagine, and I'm going to die on the cross so that way you can be back again with my Father in heaven. That's how much love and creative, imaginative hospitality I am going to pour out because I so love the world. You see, what we see in Christ, what we see in Christ, in, in Jesus of Nazareth, we know to be true about God. Everything we see about the Christ, we know to be true about God. And what we see in Christ, and he even says it here, is a king of a kingdom on a throne. A kingdom that Rachel Held Evans once said is a kingdom full of outcasts, oddballs, who are all gathered at a table, not because they're rich, not because they're worthy, not because they're good, but because they are hungry for Jesus, because they said yes to Jesus. And she says there's always room for more. <coughs> Sorry, I apologize. A um, couple allergy problems this morning, but um, I remember... Uh, when we were thinking about uh, doing foster care a number of, of years ago, and we were even thinking, do we even have room, not just in our house, but do we have room in our heart? Like, do we have enough love to give to more children who, who possibly could come in? And, and one of Anna's, uh, someone who she followed on Instagram, a friend of hers or, or someone, had just posted this like a couple days after we were actually asking this question, and she says, at least for them, love wasn't something that, they had like a pie chart and it got divided between their, their children, but rather love was something that multiplied with the children that came in. And I think that's what Rachel Held Evans is saying here. There's always room for more love. Our love never, hospitality never runs its limits in, in Christ. And so this idea of Christ's blueprint for love was the blueprint and the pillar upon which this alternative community in the book of Acts, was tortured and, and, and even killed because of. The, the, the church in, in, in Acts, they were, they were persecuted and killed precisely because they followed Christ, because they followed the one who said, all are welcome to sit at my table. They were persecuted because of the person they followed and who they allowed to break bread and share their lives with, just as their Messiah had told them to do. Not only did they see the Imago Dei, right? We talk about seeing the image of God in, in all of creation. Not only did they see the Imago Dei in all those who sat at their table, Jesus told them to see him, to see Christ in the person who needs food, the person who, 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 needs, to be, who needs drink, the person, the foreigner who needs to come into your walls, the, the person to sit at your table, the person who needs clothes or to be visited, whether in the hospital or or, or in prison, or in their homes. They saw Christ himself in all those 
who they opened their doors and their hearts to, those whom they shared their very existence with. Karen Main, uh, she puts it this way, and, and, I, and I couldn't say it any better, but she says, the reason why they were able to do this is because hospitality isn't just an open heart to other people, it's an open heart to God himself. Radical hospitality is an open heart to God himself with room prepared for the Holy Spirit that welcomes the presence of Christ because this is what we share with those to whom we open our doors and our hearts. We're not just giving them ourselves, we're giving them Christ. Right? Whatever you have done to the least of these, you have done to me. Radical hospitality is not simply about opening our homes and entertaining friends and family. It, it, it certainly can be a part of that. But that's not it in its entirety. And, and radical Christ-like table practices and hospitality are not simply only for those who have a special gift to do so. But rather, radical Christ-like table practices and hospitality is, is a command of Christ first and foremost, but it's really an attitude that we carry with us no matter where we go, whether we're in our homes or walking down the street or if we're online like we talked about last week. What Jesus is saying here with the sheep and the young goats, he's saying either your hearts are open and others are seeing Christ in you, or your hearts are closed and people are not able to see Christ in you. He's saying either you're practicing hospitality with those you come in contact with, those in your homes, those when you walk around with, those in your schools, your workplaces, uh, at the DMV, wh wherever you might be. Even when you're driving around your car, you can practice hospitality. He says either you're doing that on, at its core, or you're going to simply grow bitter. Road rage might creep in and then... It's a lot easier for vicious comments to flow from our mouth and our, and our keyboards. Radical hospitality at its core is a gift that we're able to give others when we open up our hearts. Like Jesus said in John 14, where God has opened up his hearts and there's much room in God's heart. Radical hospitality at its core is for us to become a safe and sacred place for people to rest. It's to be a place for people to see Christ as he invites us through us to come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Radical hospitality is about us creating set-apart, sacred, holy space for others to experience the same presence of Christ that we get to experience in Christ, wherever and in whatever situation we find ourselves in. It's a way of loving our neighbor in the same way God has loved us, which is unconditionally, without constrictions, and it's relentlessly beautiful. Think about your everyday comings and goings. You know, we're not going to do any kind of spiritual practice this week. We're not going to do any of, uh, you know, think about your week. Even though the exam is a great way to actually think about even what we're talking about today. But just think about your everyday comings and goings. Maybe you were driving around town, office, school, the grocery store, whatever it is that you do. 
Would you say that this past week you had a hospitable heart or more of a closed-off, standoffish, cold heart? I remember a number of years back, I was, uh, I was at the grocery store with my wife, and, uh, and we left, and she was like, why are you so unfriendly to the cashier? I'm like, I don't know. I'm just, in a, I'm just in a bad mood, I guess. I have no idea. I just, I'm not in the mood to like, you know, be friendly. And, and you said something to me, you know, I can't remember what it was, but it was something about, well, you know, you talk so much about hospitality and welcoming people in, we also can do that even just at the grocery store in a line. And I'm like, <laughs> getting schooled by your wife. But think about it. When have you so deeply been received that the welcome touched your soul? When have you ever been welcomed in so fully? Like, what did that feel like for your soul? That's what Christ is saying, do that for others. Or on the flip side, when have you been wounded? When have you not been welcomed? When have you not been received to be somewhere that you felt like you wanted to be? What did that feel like? Christ is saying, Let's not do that to others. And so this week, let's ask the Spirit to reveal to us how he might be transforming our hearts to use our hearts as a shelter, as a house of rest for all of those people that we we come in contact with so that way they might just for a brief moment see, see the face of Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Christ Jesus and Holy, Holy, Holy Spirit, God of hospitality, our simple prayer this morning is that we would welcome those into our midst just as you welcome us into your midst through creation, but then again through Christ and him crucified. God, Christ crucified is the the most generous, grace-filled act of hospitality that the world has ever seen that you would send your son into this world to be a part of this human experiment. Not only to live amongst us to teach and to touch people, but also to sacrifice yourself so that way we could once again be at one, that we could have that at oneness again where you would invite us back into the room, the many rooms you have in your heart that you've prepared a place for us. God, we pray all these things in your holy name who taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in the heavens, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts, just as we forgive those who are indebted to us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the glory, and the power forever and ever. Amen.